Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. It's a podcast that brings you the latest reporting and analysis of this historic political drama. Today, another important milestone as Nancy Pelosi formally gives the green light on filing articles of impeachment. The president leaves us no choice but to act because he is trying to corrupt once again the election for his own benefit. The president has engaged in abuse of power undermining our national security and jeopardizing the integrity of our elections. His actions are in defiance of the vision of our founders and the oath of office that he takes to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Sadly, but with confidence and humility, with allegiance to our founders, and a heart full of love for America, today I am asking our chairman to proceed with articles of impeachment. I have two superb guests to help make sense of this all and what the days ahead look like. In a few minutes, we'll be talking with CNN legal analyst Michael Zeldin. But first, I'm joined by my colleague, CNN senior political reporter, Nia Malika Henderson. Nia, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here, David. So uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, as history will now record this moment, has announced that indeed... Uh, And I know this may not be a surprise to people following the story closely, but I don't think we should lose the historic nature of the moment either. The Speaker of the House has said that they are going to move forward. And she's asked the chairman of the Judiciary Committee to proceed with articles of impeachment. Yeah. And as you played that clip, uh, I have to say, I heard her say that before and and hearing her say uh, these words again, now that you point, I kind of had a a, a knot in the pit of my stomach. This is a huge moment uh, for this country, for the speaker as well, and obviously uh, for this president. This is a speaker who did not want to be here, had to be sort of dragged uh, to this moment by what the president did. And she, of course, said that uh, when she said that the president uh, leaves us no choice. She said here uh, that she comes to this moment uh, with confidence, uh, but with some humility, too, and with sadness. And you could see it uh, there in her expression today. I think all of those uh, emotions are probably uh, among the folks in her caucus as well. Lots of mixed emotions. Uh, Some of them wanted to be here long ago. uh, And then some of them obviously only arrived here recently with the Ukraine uh, scandal and what the and what the president did in asking the Ukrainian president uh, to help him with political dirt. As did the country, by the way, right? Like some of the country was for this impeachment a while back. Exactly. uh, But actually, we saw a significant increase in support for impeachment once the Ukraine matter was in the public domain. We did. I mean, it was what, at about 35 percent or something like that in terms of folks wanting impeachment. Lots of Democrats uh, didn't want impeachment. And then you see uh, at this point, it's essentially a 50-50 proposition, maybe a little uh, more in favor of impeachment uh, and removing the president from 
office than uh, not having him be impeached and, and removed from office. So so you have Nancy Pelosi going forward uh, with her caucus so far hasn't been able to get uh, any Republicans. Unlikely that she will, even the folks we thought who might, people like Will Hurd, people who are retiring, uh, they seem to have formed a really solid uh, red block around this president. Well, that begs my next question for you. The speaker herself had made uh, bipartisanship sort of a threshold uh, issue for moving forward here. Obviously, she's moving forward without that because, as you've noted, there's not been a single Republican to come forward yet and either in the House or the Senate to support this effort. Uh, Does this then, if it is purely partisan, um, present a political risk to Speaker Pelosi? You know, I think there there is a risk for those, particularly sort of the 43 frontline Democrats, right? All those Democrats uh, who won in those Trump districts. Because the polling you're referring to is different if you look just at the battleground districts than you look nationally. It's totally different. Opposition... Uh, to impeachment is probably a little higher exactly. than the support exactly. for Exactly. I, I think that's right. So for, for those folks, people like Mikey Sherrill, people like Joe Cunningham, people like Lucy McMath, uh, they're going to have tough reelections. They're going to have to go before uh, people who backed this president uh, and explain why they felt like uh, this you know, this uh, offense basically arose to the level of of impeachment. And listen, they were going to have tough uh, fights anyway uh, in in these uh, districts that Trump ran, uh, won on or, or won in 2016, but they're going to be much tougher now. But listen, I don't think ultimately we know what's going to be in the minds of voters. Listen, if you're a strong Republican, you'll likely vote for the Republican. If you're a strong Democrat, uh, you will you will definitely vote for the Democrat. I'm sort of one of those people that uh, essentially think it'll be a wa- it'll be a wash, right? It'll energize folks on the right or will energize folks on the left. Probably it'll split uh, independence. Similarly, we also just don't know where the politics of this will be uh, in November. How front of center or front and center and top of mind will this be for voters uh, when they cast ballots in November? Yeah, because we live in a society in a world now where stuff moves really yes. quickly. And so this may not be the thing exactly. uh, that uh, the election hinges on. No doubt. Uh, I, I, before we get to break, I do want to play you this one moment that happened with uh, a reporter, James Rosen. I think he's of Sinclair uh, exactly. stations now, Sinclair Broadcasting, a conservative outlet, formerly of Fox News. Um, I, I want you to hear his his question to the speaker uh, where he was quoting the uh, ranking member, the top Republican on the Judiciary Committee, Doug Collins, talking about this hatred for the president that that seems to exist among some Democrats, perhaps Pelosi included, and listen to her response. Here's that exchange. Do you hate the president, Madam Speaker? Representative I Collins, I suggests, uh, the reason I am. Catholic House, we don't hate anybody, not anybody in the world. So don't, don't right. me I did not accuse you. I asked a question. Representative Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. I think it's an important I point. I think the president is a coward when it comes to helping uh, our, our kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with the, the, helping our dreamers, the, of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the constitu- about the uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. 
This is about the elect. Take it up in the elect. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this was a real moment. And to see it unfold on the screen there as I was watching it on television, you know, the reporter shouts this question to her. She's leaving at this point, but she stops as soon as she hears the word hate. And I have to say, when I saw this moment, I remembered being a young girl growing up in a very Christian, a fundamentalist household. And one word you could never say was hate. Like, this was a big deal to say it in relation to anyone or anything. And in some ways, that's how she reacted, right? She reacted uh, as a person of faith. I mean, this would be a huge accusation. And also, I thought, made the separation between, you know, she obviously has problems with some of the president's uh, behavior uh, and pushing back on this idea that a lot of uh, Republicans are casting uh, Democrats as essentially Trump haters. This is what they wanted to do all along. We obviously know that's actually not true of Pelosi. She hasn't wanted to do uh, this all along and saying all of those issues that she has with the the president in terms of politics, that'll be handled in the election. Uh, And this other business of what happened with Ukraine and impeachment, this has to do with the Constitution. So it was a really powerful uh, moment for her. And of course, we'll hear from her on this town hall. Yeah, I was just about yes, to promote the town hall. Yes. Look at Boom. you, right yes. in there. Yes, what a perfect segue to say that everyone should tune in uh, tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern on CNN to watch Nancy Pelosi uh, in a town hall. Couldn't think of a better day yeah. uh, for us to have a, a Pelosi town hall. Neil, we've got plenty more to talk about. Right after this break, we're going to bring in legal scholar Michael Zeldin. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian. Nia Malika Henderson is still with me, and we're happy to welcome CNN legal analyst Michael Zeldin. Michael, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, Michael, what led up to Nancy Pelosi's announcement this morning was that uh, the Judiciary Committee yesterday had held uh, its actual initial impeachment hearing, really, and listened to... uh, Folks in your line of business, uh, scholars, legal analysts uh, and constitutional experts, Uh, three on the Democratic side, one on the Republican side. The three Democratic witnesses, of course, this meets the threshold for impeachment. The uh, one Republican witness, it it does not meet the threshold for impeachment to him. Um, But it is out of that that Nancy Pelosi announced to the country, Michael, that she's charging Jerry Nadler now to go and proceed with articles of impeachment. And my question to you is, what do you think those articles are going to look like? What form will they take? So I think that there's a probability that there'll be three articles of impeachment based on the Ukraine activity and then an open question as to whether or not there's an article of impeachment based on Mueller. In Ukraine, I think you'll see an abuse of power solicitation of Zelensky for the investigation of the Bidens. You'll probably see some sort of abuse of power part two that includes the quid pro quo, the withholding of American aid in the White House meeting in exchange for that investigation of the Bidens. You will see 
an obstruction of Congress, a wholesale rejection of the subpoenas by the House and others for testimony and documents. That will be the third article. Then the question is, and the great unknown is, will they have an obstruction of justice article based on the Mueller report? And I think there's conflict in the committee and among the leadership as to whether they should resurrect Mueller or keep this clean with the Ukraine articles alone. Let's put aside that last item, uh, potential article there, and I want to dive into the second and third on your list, the quid pro quo and the obstruction of Congress. Those are the two I think the Republicans have spent most time trying to push back on, that that quid pro quo has not been proven yet, that we have not heard uh, direct evidence from somebody who heard President Trump say, I want this for that. Uh, that's one. And then two... I guess the argument from Republicans is, well, shouldn't shouldn't we let that play out in the courts before we say that there's a, an obstruction of Congress and let that third co-equal branch of government adjudicate whether or not these people have to testify? So what do you say to that? Well, so two things. First is, as to the playing it out in court, that has the potential of taking years. And when you're faced with conduct that people believe in the Democratic side— is an abuse of the powers of the office that has to be addressed now and not years from now. And so there's an imperative, a constitutional imperative to proceed now and not wait. Because if you think about the litigation in the courts, that which has been adjudicated already by two judges is that witnesses have to show up and testify. They have no absolute immunity to not show up at all. But what hasn't been resolved in those cases is what happens when they do show up. So if they do show up and they ask the question, and what did you say to the president or what did the president say to you? And the answer is, I cannot answer that on the question of executive privilege. Then that gets litigated itself. And so you have litigation within litigation. And that's what the Democrats don't want to involve themselves in. I think one of the Democrats called it a rope-a-dope, meaning that they're just going to keep flailing away until everybody is exhausted, the election has come and gone, and uh, they never sanction the conduct of the president, which the constitutional scholar said really needs to be sanctioned. I think they asked rhetorically, if this is not impeachable conduct, what is? If this is not sanctioned now, what type of free reign does it give to future presidents? And I think that's where they, that's where they are. And what are the legal sort of strengths and weaknesses of the fourth article around the Mueller report and obstruction of justice? So in the case of Mueller, he outlined eight to ten objectives of obstruction that he felt were existing. Firing Comey, letting the Flynn investigation drop, asking Sessions to unrecuse himself, all of those things. There is a constitutional debate about whether or not the president who has the Article II powers to fire Comey and direct the Justice Department to do types of investigations or not do types of investigations can ever rise to the article of impeachment level. And so my thought is that there is one that's quite clear, which is the president, according to McGahn's testimony in the Mueller report, asked him to create a false record of his request, the president's request, to alter documents and lie about the president's request to fire Mueller. There is nothing in that 
it implicates executive privilege or the powers of the president. So if you were going to resurrect Mueller for all the nightmares that that might present, <laughs> that's the one article that is clean. And, and that's where they may head. Right. And obviously, politically, not so clean for a lot of these uh, Democrats who don't want this sort of kitchen sink strategy. Uh, they want a clean shot uh, just at Ukraine, right, the Ukraine scandal, because uh, they worry that that plays into the talking point of the GOP that says, listen, this is, you know, basically a continuation of the Mueller report. So Nancy Pelosi has some decisions uh, to make, even though in the testimony yesterday, it didn't seem like in Norm Eisen's questioning uh, that they were headed this way in in terms of this instruction of, of justice and bringing in, I guess it's part Norm two Eisen of the, was the staff member on yes. the Democratic side, the majority side. Yes, yeah. bringing in part two of the Mueller report, which is this what ten or eleven accounts uh, of obstruction of justice. And right. to your point earlier, Nia, I mean, the real pivot point here, the turning point after the Ukraine scandal became in the public domain, were these frontline, especially national security backgrounding yes. uh, kind of Democrats, the Abigail Spamberger, mm -hmm. and you mentioned Mikey Sherrill, and it, these folks writing that op-ed in the Washington Post um, was, that is when Pelosi came out and right. said, we're moving forward with this. That was a that was the turning point. And they were not there on Mueller they, alone. They weren't there. Some other Democrats weren't there. Pelosi, wasn't, Pelosi there. wasn't there. Schiff wasn't there. A lot of folks uh, weren't there solely with uh, the Mueller report, with Mueller's testimony, which, of course, was much hyped and left a lot of folks uh, deflated uh, and certainly didn't put in the, any wind in the sails of the pro-impeachment camp. But you're right. The, the dam broke with Ukraine. And so I think the question before the caucus now is, do they just keep it narrow uh, to Ukraine or or do they kind of feed the base in some ways who have wanted a more kitchen sink approach to this president? Yeah. And if, if you think about this from a trial lawyer standpoint, because they're going to ultimately have to try this case in the Senate, you want to have a theory of your case, an argument as to what the evidence is, and then a summary of that. And the Ukraine story is a very easily told story. There's a beginning, middle and end. The president of the United States in an effort to obtain dirt on his political rival, removed the U.S. ambassador, imposed the three amigos, made a demand call of Zelensky, personally the president did, and then took on after the fact steps to make sure that the Ukrainians understood this was an offer they couldn't refuse. That's a pretty simple story. And then when the argument is made, like Turley made or attempted to make, well, you shouldn't let this go forward until we have all the witnesses. Then you have your third article, which says, yeah, but the president has ordered none of these witnesses to be available to us. And so we don't have that option. And so instead, we're going to say, if you were to give us those witnesses, maybe you're right. Maybe we wait. But since you're not, you're going to get an article of impeachment for that act, too. I think it's a very straightforward story. I didn't get an answer earlier when I asked you, so I'm going to try. I'm going to look for it here. Okay. On the quid pro quo piece of this, what do you say to Republicans who say there is no direct evidence that has been presented of the president telling someone, I want this for that? You don't need that in a criminal case or in an impeachment case. You can draw reasonable inferences from the evidence before you. It's the old adage of, did it snow overnight? And you don't know because you were asleep, but there is snow on the ground when you wake up and there wasn't snow on the ground when you went to bed. You can draw the re reasonable inference that it snowed overnight. Yes. So In Nia, the case here, yeah. the same thing is true. There are people who are acting 
on behalf of the president's desires, irrespective of whether there's words out of the mouth of the president, which there are in the July 25th call, that make it easy circumstantially and with inferences to say these people were acting at the behest of the president. There's no reasonable explanation for their behavior otherwise. I hear the very lawyerly response. I get that, Nia. My question to you is the political yes. uh, power that that may give Republicans when you say words like inference right, and, and circumstantial, circumstantial, is that political power to them? I think so. And you saw it in Will Hurd's closing, right? The close of the Intelligence Committee hearing, he essentially said they didn't have enough evidence. Like for something like this, you need overwhelming evidence. Uh, this was also Jonathan Turley's point, I think, too, uh, when he uh, spoke yesterday uh, b- before the committee. He essentially said, you know, this is a wafer thin uh, record, essentially. And to get more information, you would obviously need to have testimony from all these other people like Mick Mulvaney and John Bolton, who, who were talking to the president about this on their phone call records and all sorts of uh, things like that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's sort of the out for Republicans to essentially say, really, you're going to remove a president uh, because of circumstantial ev- evidence and inferences uh, without hard evidence. It which is like why, David, in, in which is why, David, in response to your question of what would I like the articles of impeachment to look like, I separated the solicitation from the quid pro quo because you cannot have this quid pro quo argument in the solicitation and the solicitation of the investigation comes from the mouth of the president. Right. And so if that stands alone and then taken in combination with the fact that no witnesses have been made available, then I think you can actually leave quid pro quo out of it and have two solid articles of impeachment to take to the Senate. I think that's a fair point. And we'll have to say for another podcast uh, whether or not, if indeed we did have a witness who said the president said would this that, for that, yeah. whether would that, that actually would change the Republicans' <laughs> mind at all either, but we'll save that for another podcast. Nia, Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch, and thanks to our listeners. We've got a new episode every weeknight, so please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is, and while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It really helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.